Welcome to the Health Bites Podcast. This podcast features expert speakers presenting on topics of interest to all of our listeners, from librarians, public health practitioners, educators, and clinicians. Health Bites is supported by the National Institutes of Health, the National Library of Medicine, and the Network of the National Library of Medicine, Region 3. For more information, please visit us at www.nnlm.gov. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for being with, with us today and joining us for November's edition of Health Bites with Region 3. We are so pleased to welcome this month's speaker, Karina Kletcher. Karina is the reference and instruction librarian on the Creighton University Health Sciences Campus in Phoenix, Arizona. Karina earned her MLS, MLIS, excuse me, from the University of Maryland College Park and a BA in Narrative Studies from the University of Southern California. Her research interests include critical pedagogies, the medical humanities, and the intersection of information literacy and cultural programming and its impact on belonging in the academic library. She has previously written and presented on gamified library instruction, spaces in the academic library, and librarians' roles in adolescent sexual health literacy. When outside of the library, you can find Karina digging around a vintage market or trying a new DIY project. In today's Health Bites, our speaker will give a presentation on Campus Connections, a solo librarian's journey launching a satellite health science library. Thank you so much for being our guest speaker this morning, and I will turn everything over to you. Hi everyone, my name is Karina Clutcher. Um, I um, use she, her pronouns, and I'm a reference and instruction librarian at Creighton University Libraries. Um, while Creighton University has its home institution located in Omaha, Nebraska, um, I am based on the new Regional Health Sciences Campus in Phoenix, Arizona, which opened in June 2021. So we are not quite at our two-year uh, two mark. Um, I was hired to launch the Satellite Health Sciences Library located on the new campus, and I'm really happy to be sharing my journey here with you, and I'm really looking forward to um, making more connections and hearing what um, you all have to say. So before I begin, I want to open with a land and labor acknowledgement. Um, so I am presenting from land that is now called Phoenix, and I acknowledge that I live and work on the sacred and unceded land of the Odom peoples, and that part of my institution is also on the sacred and unceded lands of the Omaha, Ponca, Odom, Missouri, and Iowa peoples. Um, I honor them and all indigenous people, past, present, and future, and their continued survival and contributions to our society. Uh, I also honor the legacy of the African diaspora and recognize that this country would not exist without the free enslaved labor of Black people. I share these acknowledgments to pay respect to the original caretakers of this land, to raise awareness of histories that are too often erased or forgotten, and to affirm commitment to social change. Uh, I encourage everyone to learn more about the land that you're on, its stewards, and how you can listen to and support them. Um, and today I want to call particular uh, attention to the Salt River Community Children's Foundation um, in support of their ongoing work to provide opportunities and experiences for children of the Salt River community. I have made a small donation and I really invite you to identify an action, small or large, um, that you can take to support Native communities where you live. Um, but I also have some special library acknowledgments that I want to make before I get into my presentation. 
Um, so these are some wonderful folks across the libraries in Nebraska and here in Arizona who helped make this library possible. Um, many processes and the physical footprint were designed um, far prior to when I came on board in May 2021, um, and they went back, um, I think, as far as 2019, as far as the documents that I've read, but I'm sure that these conversations started before then. Um, most importantly, they worked tirelessly within the large convoluted system of what it means to collaborate and advocate during this complicated um, complicated process of designing and collaborating with multiple vendors and university units um, to create this regional campus, which is multiple states away. Um, and this was done even through leadership transitions, like when IT was temporarily leaving the library. So I just want to take a, a moment to acknowledge um, these wonderful people who are on the Phoenix Library Planning Committee. Um, we still meet quarterly. Um, just to check in and talk to each other, um, even though some of these people have moved on, um, I hope that, you know, my thank you just gets back to them somehow. Um, and then, of course, a huge thank you to the rest of my colleagues across the library systems. Um, I could not be doing this without y'all. Um, so I'm a huge believer in transferable skills. Um, and lifelong learning, and I want to share some of my educational and professional journey for some context. Um, I was recently talking to an MLIS student, and I was thinking about how life is like the movie Slumdog Millionaire, and for those of you who haven't seen this 2008 hit, um, you have to see it. Uh, the premise is a poor young man is being held by the police because they think he's cheating and making it through um, to make it through all the stages of this show that's similar to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Um, so while he's being tortured, he's actually having flashbacks to his life and the instances that led him to know the answers to these specific trivia questions. Um, it's also based on a book, um, which I haven't read yet, but I hope to. Um, and so this is my journey. So my constellation of experiences and my interests and how they've led me here and how I practice librarianship, how I problem solve. Um, and now that I've gotten to know my colleagues really well, I've had some pretty frank conversations <laughs> about why I was offered my position. And let me tell you, it is not because of my then very basic grasp of health sciences librarianship. Um, so these are just some of the things that I've been interested in since I was in undergrad. Um, yes, I have an interdisciplinary degree. It is called narrative studies. It is funky. I did get asked all the time, what are you gonna do with it? Um, but I do use it every single day. Um, so it's basically about the impact of storytelling in all its forms. And my particular interest in it is um, how, li how libraries, well, that too, how storytelling impacts every part of our um, identity and our culture and how we use that to reflect our values. So, you know, when thinking about what is po what popular culture is um, talking about or what it's reflecting today um, and in the past and um, potentially for our future. Um, and so I used to do stage management and event production. That was my kind of first career. Um, and through that, I was really interested in advancement um, and found out that that path wasn't exactly for me. I thought it was super important, but it's not what really like made me get up every morning and, and get to work. Um, and so on the side, I was doing a lot of, you know, library. I was volunteer work. Um, I was a page. Um, I did a lot of um, junior docent work at um, the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. Um, and when I graduated, I became a special events program coordinator. So I kind of continued a lot of that work. Um, I was between academic events and university relations. So doing a lot of 
you know, commencements, running very large academic events that um, honored different scholarship teaching, um, honor the different milestones within um, an academic career, whether that was a student or a researcher. Um, but I was also part of an arts and humanities initiative. And so we brought in speakers and um, performers and thought leaders to bring them in and give students this extra um, this extra exposure outside of their curriculum. And I absolutely adore it. Um, I miss both parts of that job. Um, even though I knew that I had to leave it for librarianship, I was working with a lot of wonderful academic librarians. And I was like, hmm, how do I do what you do, but like also do what I'm currently doing? So I returned to school, got my master of library and information science, um, thought I was going to go into archives and outreach and um, making that more accessible, uh, making it more fun. Um, and instead, I fell in love with teaching and learning and research support, um, something that I never really thought I would be interested in, which seems to be the theme of my career. So um, through those and work with my mentors, I was really interested in, you know, management, um, learning how they led from the middle, from below, how they worked with different people across units, um, how they created inclusive spaces and like were constantly retrofitting, you know, um, I think a lot of us in glam spaces or health sciences spaces, um, we're inheriting these spaces that weren't necessarily designed for our use today. And so how do we constantly use what we have to make them more reflective of the current use and um, reflective of the communities that we serve. And so that's kind of what led me into critical librarianship. I look, like looking at everything with a really critical lens um, and bringing different theories of knowledge and ways of knowing um, into my work. So um, I've got a tiny star because there was a little blip on my radar. Um, as everyone knows, 2020 was the um, pandemic when it, when it first hit us all. Um, really hard. And so I graduated into the pandemic, um, you know, academic hiring freezes left and right. So I actually was unemployed for, for eight months. Um, and I finished out my master's degree online, like many of uh, students around the world today, um, did a lot, learned how to do um, online school, um, even though my uh, curriculum wasn't necessarily designed to be 100% online. And so I got a huge insight into what it means to not only be a teacher and a librarian and a worker as a graduate assistant, but what it means to be on the student side um, of learning. Um, eventually, I worked at a liberal arts college, so I was a generalist. Um, I worked primarily with undergraduates. Um, and we had a lot of campus climate issues, and it was really interesting to get involved and talk to our students who were wonderful advocates. Um, I think those students are going to go on and be wonderful um, activists and uh, leaders in their own right. But it really got me engaged in um, virtual and physical spaces. Um, what does it mean to be inclusive in a virtual campus, per se? Um, and then uh, something that I never thought I would do, again, um, my mentor said, you know what? you'd be a really great STEM librarian. Why don't you, why aren't you interested in looking at any of those jobs in my last year of uh, grad school? And I was like, ew, I will never be a STEM librarian. I don't like science. I don't like math. I like them from afar. Um, but here I am. I have fallen into a health sciences um, and medical librarianship role, and I absolutely love it. So Rachel, you were right. Um, <laughs> And so I am now a subject specialist, so I do have um, liaison duties. Um, I work primarily, um, I work with 
uh, health science students, I'm still able to dabble in that humanities side, which is kind of what my background is in. Um, and so it's really fun to, to learn from my students and my faculty and staff in every interaction that we work with and kind of um, we're both bringing very different perspectives to their research and different conversations. Um, so again, uh, my professional students are very different than students that I've worked with in the past um, from undergraduates and um, uh, master's students. Um, and then I continued that work in belonging and inclusion. It's a very different conversation at the professional level, especially in, um, I think, these professions that are so pressured um, and um, uh, in a pandemic, seeing how low resource they are and the pressures that they've gone through through um, society and all of that. So it's really important to bring that those conversations of belonging and inclusion and mental health um, and self-care into my work. Um, next, I just wanted to cover some blurry definitions. Um, I know that Health Bites has a really broad audience, and I want to share some definitions to kind of show a little bit more about the context of what I'm working in and what I'm interested in, but also like how this campus is different than um, other campuses or maybe how it's really similar to some of the campuses that you are working on or the roles that you all play. Um, and so I, again, work in an academic space. And so this is uh, my specific context. I'm not speaking for all um, academic librarians or all solo librarians. Um, but so we can see that branch campus is um, by the uh, HLC is the Higher Learning Commission. Um, and they have a very interesting, um, very broad definition. Um, and I, you know, I think that's there for a purpose. So this is actually from both their um, guidelines as well as their um, application that you have to go through in order to open a branch campus. Um, and so it might be the term that you're also the most familiar with. Um, I think branch library, branch campus are something that um, work through academic libraries, through um, public library systems, you know, similar to um, your local public library, you might be familiar with your neighborhood branch or someone might say, hey, you know, we don't have this at this branch, but you can go check another neighborhood branch or um, perhaps closer to the American Library Association or the Association of College and Research Libraries definition, um, which you can see below. Um, it actually relates more to the specialization. So you might be on one campus, but there could be multiple libraries. So the art library, the engineering library, but they're all within the same system and they might be on the same campus. They might be on a campus just across the city. Um, they might be on a campus in another city. And that's kind of where we get into satellite libraries, satellite campuses. Um, and I think um, I think about these now that I'm on a satellite and regional campus, I think about them a little differently than maybe others have. Um, it's been really interesting to dive into the literature and see how other librarians talk about this. Um, so I think about Phoenix as a satellite because we're pretty far from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I think of a satellite as like orbiting the earth, but you can't just bike across campus or hop on the metro to reach it from the Omaha campus. So um, kind of in that confusing a rectangle and a square, um, by my interpretation, um, our health sciences library, Omaha is a branch library, but it's not a satellite library. Whereas my library here in Phoenix is a branch library and a satellite library. Um, so I hope that doesn't like make anyone too confused. 
Um, and then a regional campus, as you can imagine, is a campus in another region. And there doesn't seem to be any specific definition tied to this either. Um, in fact, a study of satellite librarians repurposes the National Center for Education Statistics branch campus definition, um, which is a mirror of what health uh, the HLCs, except that they specified that it is, quote, located in a community beyond a reasonable commuting distance distance from its parent institution. So I think that's also a little bit murky because, I mean, what do we consider a reasonable commuting distance, um, especially given um, the transformation that we've seen in the past, you know, three years with the pandemic and um, making things more accessible for folks, but also in the past 10 years with our expansion of distance education. And then last but not least is solo librarian. Um, and this one is really interesting to unpack. Um, for a few reasons. So in popular culture, we're often faced with a single individual and they're like always public facing. So they're either manning a reading room like Marion Librarian in The Music Man um, or welcoming visitors from the reference desk like Matil uh, Matilda's Benevolent Guide. Um, they're somehow always inhabiting the library. So like anytime Buffy walks into the space, Giles is always there in the library. So creating storytelling aside, um, these are not the main characters of popular culture's imagination, but it's somewhat problematic because it makes people a little unaware of the actual labor, um, staff and skills required, which is partially where the magic of librarianship derives from. You know, people are always saying like, wow, the library has like such magic or um, wow, what you just did is magic. Um, and I think that's really cool, but um, that's not really... Um, discussing or making visible all of the work that's involved. And um, that's not today's soapbox, but I just wanted to bring that up on how um, interesting that part of it can be. Um, and then it really goes to show when you're talking to the public, the public goes, but what is a solo librarian? Because maybe that's what's in their imagination. Um, that's what they see. And the tough answer is that it really depends. So solo librarianship is not new, um, and there are so many models of it out there. Um, I'm constantly learning from other librarians, you know, um, that they've been solo librarians, and then they've joined um, in different capacities, and then they've joined systems, and they're no longer a solo librarian, but then they go back to being a solo librarian, and it's a completely different model. Um, and so it's really, really fascinating to have conversations with people. Um, and it's very different when you're talking about, you know, a hospital librarian or an academic librarian or a public librarian. Those models of solo librarianship are vastly different or very similar. It just really, really depends. Um, and these models can also be fully solo or semi-solo, kind of what I've put up on the slide. So are you only counting those who are holding an MLIS? So does your library actually have some paraprofessionals? Um, uh, are you really the only staff member? Are you a library assistant where you might not have a master's degree in librarianship or, or an equivalent, as our descriptions like to say for job ads, um, but you're still all alone? Um, these are all very different um, models of solo librarianship. But what does it look like for me? What is this um, model that I keep alluding to? So I thought it was probably best to break down my specific situation through organizational charts. Um, so part of my official spiel for this position is that the library has hired a reference and instruction librarian to launch and staff the new Health Sciences Library Phoenix and liaise to counterparts several states away. So what does that mean? Um, so here's me on the chart. I am the reference and instruction librarian Phoenix. 
Um, and you can see that I report directly to the head of research and instruction. Um, and I've put the Health Sciences Library Phoenix at the bottom of this particular um, iteration of our chart, because while I'm the one who's here running it, um, each of these unit heads from access services to um, our idea hub, each of these unit heads and their respective teams touch it for the services and resources here. So while I have my supervisor, there's a lot of communication with other departments. Um, it might be direct me to other team members. Um, reporting, you know, both ways. Maybe it's something that my head has been talking to um, other heads in leadership meetings and it comes back down. Maybe it's something that I've taken up and they discuss it um, and vice versa. So it's a really interesting model to think about how um, I'm kind of a team member of all of these units, but um, officially on the record, I am part of our reference and instruction um, or our research and instruction um, department. And some of those questions and discussions that we've had um, across teams, across heads, um, in larger meetings and smaller one-on-one -on -one meetings is, you know, do we need booking ability for materials here in Phoenix? Um, that's something that we want to bring to Omaha, but how would that work in Phoenix? Um, what's our protocol for acquisitions and cataloging when items don't originate in Omaha? Um, something that happens really frequently is students are like, hey, I can't sell my textbook. Um, but I would love to donate it to the library. So what do we do in those instances? Um, and how can we best balance open, open circulation with security and loss coverage? Um, and I think that's very, um, very important conversation to have, especially at the end of the semester. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like students just are like, well, I don't know what to do anymore. And they completely lose sight of what they need to do to check things out, especially in this self-service capacity. Um, and so it's been really interesting to have another um, fall semester under my belt to kind of understand what happens with our campus culture at the end of every semester. Um, so that's our libraries. So how does that then translate into Creighton Phoenix? So here is our very, very loose um, organizational chart. It's not school specific. So you can see that the colleges have kind of been left off of this specific chart. Um, so at the top is our vice provost of our health sciences campus. Um, and you can see some of our um, leading units like uh, our senior project executive of the building. Um, and then a dotted line actually goes down to all these other units. And most of these were started as other one-man bands. So it's been really fun to get to know other people and what their situation is, working, representing an entire department, but also being a um, kind of department on one in department of one in Phoenix. So if you follow that dotted line all the way down to the bottom, um, I've left my name so you can see library, Karina. Um, so it's just me here on campus. Um, and you can see at the very bottom below that, excuse me, um, dotted line positions report directly back to Omaha. So I don't necessarily, even though the dotted line leads me back to the vice provost, um, it actually is leading me back to my previous slide showing um, how I lead to my head and then my head leads to our university librarian. And then specifically at my level, what does my liaison model look like? So when we were creating this, um, we as a library um, system decided that we needed to have identical services and resources for Phoenix. And that's not just because, you know, um, accreditation standards maintain that we need to have that for different programs. It's really how do we make the library um, on par for both campuses as best as we can. So we identified um, all the different ways that we could do that. 
And they, my team, which I mentioned before, um, put together this document. It's support for Phoenix campus. So they kind of outline different ways. Um, and you can see that um, if you can see this document, it's pretty small text, um, but there's even some red marks. Um, this is showing how old it is. Um, Reference an instruction librarian currently present, soon to be um, in red on the Phoenix campus. Um, so I'm here now. Um, and it's uh, it wasn't until I was putting this slide together that I realized that I hadn't actually touched this document really since I started. Um, and so there have been a lot of changes in the past year and a half, um, not only because I'm here and I can see what works and what doesn't work, but um, as a system, we've really been evolving in the way that we um, serve our communities in different um, campuses and different distance pathways. So a lot of these actually aren't even relevant anymore. Um, and so this is really important to maintain your documentation. Just a reminder for everyone. But um, it really goes to show how much we value um, communication in our system. And so it really aligns with um, the ACRL, which is again, the Association of College and Research Libraries guidelines for branch libraries. Um, and I was rereading it for this talk and the communication section perfectly sums up the um, liaison model that we've created. So it goes, quote, the library, the branch library must participate in formal and informal contacts with both main library departments and other branch, branch libraries to exchange information about functions related to technical and public services. A structure which encourages the exchange of information and expertise among branch libraries is also desirable. The establishment of connections with each other and with essential centralized services is paramount to effective and comprehensive branch library service. So you can kind of see, um, you know, without knowing us really well, how this document, this support for Phoenix document, as well as our uh, Phoenix campus model and org chart and our um, libraries system organizational chart are really reflecting how we want to maintain that massive communication structure um, at various levels, making sure that um, we're not missing anything. And prior to my hire, um, excuse me, I just lost my place. So in its simplest format, the model uh, is that I conduct traditional research and instruction duties and facilitate as necessary services for Phoenix. Um, and so that was actually something that um, my teams wrote out in the document. Um, and this is still true. Um, and then I liaise as necessary to the different services. So prior to when we brought on our new cataloging librarian, um, that was something that I had to do in uh, with our team in Omaha. Um, I'm so thankful because I never took a cataloging class um, in school. That wasn't something that was offered. Um, and so, you know, it was working through how do we do these for Omaha? Again, re referencing that question, one of those large conversations that we have about how to um, maintain consistent processes and guidelines. Um, and then I just want to bring up that regional campus librarians are not considered distant to their own campuses. This was in a really great article about satellite campuses. Um, and it's something that I've tried to bring in, and I think my team is super supportive of, is the fact that I might be distanced distant to my team, but I am the one here. So how do we phrase that language when we're talking about communication between departments, communication between units, um, and communication for me to my community here, um, making sure that we're not um, verbally distancing everyone or um, maybe even verbally distancing me. Um, 
And it is a dynamic model, as I said before, um, it has changed a lot. I'm sure it will continue to change and evolve as our campus grows here um, and as our services and resources evolve. But um, you're probably wondering, like, what does it feel like to be a librarian, uh, a solo librarian? Um, and that has also changed for me as I've uh, been in this role. So at first, I was thinking about this children's book. Um, it's More Caps for Sale. I don't know if anyone else is familiar with it. Um, I used to love it as a kid. So for those of you who might not be seeing the screen, um, it has a gentleman who is uh, sells caps and he's walking down the street followed by a trail of monkeys. Um, comedy ensues as a spoiler. Um, so he has a large stack of different types of hat that he, hats that he sells. He walks around town and sells them. And so when I'm thinking about all the things that I have to do, and I'm sure this relates to so many people in different roles, whether you're a librarian or not, is, um, you know, I'm simultaneously wearing my reference hat while I'm also having a tour hat. Um, we have tours come by for prospective students, for donors, um, you know, um, students bringing their families around. So while I might be serving someone in a reference role, someone's mentioning my name and I'm having to wave out the window, be on a tour, or maybe I come out and I give my little spiel about our space. Um, but I might also immediately go into a building operations meeting where I have to be a student advocate, where I'm talking about the things that are going on in the library. And so these are all the different hats that I wear. Um, but as, as we've evolved, um, this is really the best way that I can describe how it feels to be a solo librarian. Um, this GIF is of um, one of my favorite movies. It's Spirited Away by Studio Ghibli. And this is Kamaji. He is a uh, spirit who works in a bathhouse. Um, and you can see he has multiple arms and he's doing all of these different activities all at the same time. One hand is cranking the wheel to maintain the steam of the bathhouse. One hand is pulling on a crank. Maybe he's adding some herbs into the steam that's going up to the bathhouse. He's constantly grinding herbs and pulling on tabs. Um, and you can see behind him, he has a tea kettle. Occasionally he will pull the tea kettle and pour it for people or the little sprites that are around. Um, and that's really how it feels. Um, I can't just take off a cap sometimes um, and, and then put it aside, even though mentally I'm putting it into a box. Um, and so it's kind of like a juggling act without really juggling. Um, and I know that that's little little odd, but that's that's just how I feel. Um, so I would love to hear if anyone else is a solo librarian, what are what are models that you share with people um, as to what it feels like to be a department of one in some ways. Have you ever had someone really believe in you, cheer you on from the sidelines, brag about your hard work, open doors to new opportunities and fresh experiences? At NNLM Region 3, we believe in the incredible value offered by the next generation of library school students and information professionals. We invest in professional development, presentation opportunities, and projects that support the unique ideas these folks bring to the table. Want to learn more about our student and early career opportunities? Send us an email today, nnlmregion3 at unthsc.edu. I'm Bailey Sterling from NNLM Region 3, and I believe in you. Now, back to the show. So I talked a lot about campus communications um, and communications uh, guidelines um, and how that works between um, me and my department, me and different units um, within the library, um, me and different units on campus, um, the Phoenix campus. 
Um, and so I just kind of wanted to delve into this, what that looks like. So a couple of studies of satellite librarians demonstrate that miscommunication and feelings of isolation, kind of how I mentioned earlier, where, um, you know, the, the sole librarian on a regional campus is not distant in some ways. Um, and so there are uh, feelings of isolation and miscommunication commonly felt by those on satellite campuses. Um, you know, they feel like they're not understood or their campus culture is just different enough that, um, you know, people um, on the other campus and vice versa, they're not really connecting. Um, so it kind of refers to what that dotted line on the org chart is. Um, I've been very lucky in my careers to be on highly collaborative teams um, with open communication. And this endemic has really made me appreciate the small joys and power of levity. Um, if you haven't already noticed by my pop culture references and my GIFs, um, I am pretty casual in the way that I communicate with my team. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with the way that I'm communicating with them um, because all of it is distant. Um, I can't stop by my coworkers cubicle and be like, hey, how was your weekend? Um, or they can't be like, hey, I just came out of a meeting, wanted you to keep up on this, like FYI. Um, and so it's been really great to be on a team because people will do that, but they'll call me. They'll pick up a phone and be like, hey, FYI, I got out of a meeting, wanted to talk to you. Um, so it's nice to have phone conversations, but our team um, is has uh, really grown to like our, we use Microsoft products, so we're on Teams a lot. Um, and being distant, it's kind of like we all share little updates and tidbits. Um, and I love GIFs. Again, uh, it's kind of evident. Um, so it's really for me like the version of the water cooler, since that's not something that I get with my unit in Omaha. Um, that's something that I can get here on the Phoenix campus. So it's a lot of fun for me to keep up with my team that way. Um, uh, for project management tools, um, I've used several in different uh, roles. Um, we use Asana right now, and I actually really enjoy it. Um, I don't use it for personal projects. Um, I am a stationary nerd, so I really, um, I have, you know, my cute little notebooks um, and my uh, preferred pens, um, but it's a really, really great way to work on um, committee work, like managing our website usability uh, testing study, which we just completed. Um, I really loved using our project management tool for that. It's a, um, a great way to organize and assign tasks and stay updated and create agendas. Um, and it's also something that I love to use with my supervisor for our one-on-ones. Um, we meet monthly. Um, and throughout the month, we can throw things in. Um, we can complete... Um, each task or a discussion point with different descriptors and hyperlinks. Um, and a lot of times I like to just throw in like FYIs in case she's ever reading it. Um, and that way we can kind of easily, easily check it off. Um, maybe she's had a chance to read it before our meeting starts um, and vice versa. So I highly recommend anyone to use project management tools. Um, and then calendar organization. Um, sorry, I just got back from visiting the Midwest and I can really tell that my accent is coming back out. Um, I say it to everyone and every, every, anyone and everyone that I live by my calendar. Um, my Outlook calendar is basically my personal assistant. Um, I, yes, I just live by it. I keep all my notes and messages attached to calendar items. Um, I keep my calendar public, actually. Um, and I know that's something that is iffy for some folks. Um, I'm privileged that I've never been micromanaged um, in my career, knock on wood. 
Um, and it's been public from the day I started because I think that it's one of the easiest ways for my supervisor and um, my um, director to stay in touch with the things that either I'm working on, um, different meetings and conversations that are going on at the Phoenix campus, um, seeing my load, um, things that I might be working on um, without having to start up a conversation. You know, again, we're we're all openly communicating and collaborating, but sometimes you just don't have the time, especially when you're um, like us, where we're in two different time zones. And right now it's fantastic because I'm only one hour off, um, but sometimes we're two hours off. Um, in previous roles, I've had people who are working internationally, and that was just so difficult um, to maintain that constant, like open, uh, collaborative um, conversation. And I know that that's different for everyone, um, but it, it was really hard for me. And so I was trying to figure out how can I maintain this open conversation and communication style using my calendar since I'm someone who is so attached to it. Um, so I don't know if either of them actually even look at my calendar that often um, or if they use it in the way that I think they might be, but maybe now they know that they can. Um, and then one other thing that I wanted to bring up is um, just like time management. Um, methods and strategies. Um, I think especially in an academic environment and working with students, you hear so many different types, you know, like use the Pomodoro method it's, um, or use this in your calendar. Um, and so something that I actually have found really helpful is time blocking. Um, it keeps me accountable. Um, it's something that works for um, my preferred styles of working or my style of learning, uh, my learning preferences, um, because while I'm an hour behind Omaha, um, I'm also not a morning person. Um, my big like work time is like the afternoon um, when I'm doing professional development things. I like to stay in my office um, later in the evening because my mind is on. Um, I'm a night owl. Um, and so it's really nice to be able to block out my schedule um, during the day when um, people in Omaha might need to meet with me or might need to call me. Um, they can see that, you know, I'm working on a project, but if it's urgent, it's a project and they can still call me. Um, and I think this is also uh, really important because one of my coworkers um, brought this up in a Teams meeting and I have been using it nonstop is the fact that librarians work is inherently inter um, interruptible. Um, and so I think being really organized, having these different project management tools, being able to time block, um, figuring out what really works for you um, is so important because again, my mind is all over the place. I'm like Kamaji, that spirit guide, I am cranking away and I might be interrupted and be like, wait a second, where was my mind? And so these are things that I have incorporated into my um, workday to make sure that I am staying on top of things as best as I can um, and chugging along. So I wanted to also give you all a tour because I think the rest of my talk isn't really going to make sense unless you've actually seen our space. Um, and for those who are um, listening, I can just give kind of an overview of what folks are seeing on the screen. So hopefully this works. So we are on the second floor, which, and so right behind me are all of the, um, campus dining, quote unquote. We only really have a kitchenette, but it's a huge socialization space and a huge patio, um, open to everyone, pros and cons. It can get really loud, but I love being able to be right off of where the students are. 
Um, so I have glass um, around the front. People can walk in the browsing area. Um, I just showed you it's just an open place where we have our periodicals and you can walk right in. Everyone has swipe access to the space. So this is, um, I guess, my one stack. And uh, soon I'll show you the other stack. It's just, um, this is the entirety of the library. Um, so you can see there are two offices at the back and all of these shelves are completely open. So you can see that I have um, various models. Um, I have right now almost two shelves of books. Um, we, I always say, you know, the library is small but mighty, small physical footprint, massive electronic footprint. And so the space is open and people can come into the space, take what they need off the shelf. They walk over to the service counter. Um, from my office, I can actually see through my window um, if someone is out at the service counter. Um, so right now I'm kind of ignoring anyone who walks up, but I also have blinds that I've put up um, to prevent people from kind of intruding on meetings, um, which I will get to in a little bit. Um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, and so I'm really glad that before I started, my team had been like, hey, if we're going to start scaffolding this space with one librarian and hopefully moving up to two, which is why we have two offices here, um, how is that circulation going to work? Um, and so they decided to go with a self-checkout. And so um, it's been really fun to start this machine up here. Um, we use an app called MeScan. Um, they've been wonderful so far. Um, I'm sure there are a few others out there or systems that are out there. Um, and it has been so beneficial to um, ensuring that folks can come into the space, get what they need and take it if I am not available or um, not here. Um, especially late at night when that's kind of when a lot of our students on this campus study. Um, and then outside, anything um, on these shelves that are in that browsing area off of our checkout window is kind of just take as you need it. They're just periodicals, um, some of our most popular ones, um, as well as things that I found students are really looking for, that like mental mind break. So I provide a lot of coloring pages. Um, Sudoku puzzles are huge here, um, as are crosswords. Um, I don't really consider those like a mental break, but you know what? It's It works for the students and that's what they want. And so um, that's kind of what we put out there. Medline Plus is an online health information resource for patients and their families and friends. It is a service of the National Library of Medicine and a part of the National Institute of Health. Our mission is to present high quality, relevant health and wellness information that is trusted and easy to understand in both English and Spanish. We make reliable health information available anytime, anywhere, for free. For more information, please visit www.medlineplus.gov. Medline Plus, trusted health information for you. So I've kind of talked a lot about what our collections look like. Um, and we are a born digital library. So our digital collections are our preferred format. Um, I, again, do take um, different recommendations or requests from students, faculty, staff. Um, we talk about them in our collection development committee, you know, if that's something that's really worthwhile. Um, a lot of times I just take them on because I think it's important right now to, if it's donated, um, we can just track that usage and then check it. Um, I'm a huge fan of weeding, so I don't think that's going to be an issue in the future. Um, but I primarily am a library of things. Um, a lot of people walk into the library and they're like, oh my gosh, where are all the books, where are all the materials? And so you kind of have to like take them down a notch and let them know that um, 
with the rapid rate of health sciences literature and the turnover, um, like why are libraries set up the way that we are? So again, physical collections growth, um, it's primarily based on user feedback. And then I talked about that self-service model. So this has been, again, just such a game changer in the way that we um, uh, work our library. Open space, all items are out. Um, I work Monday through Friday. And so that actually means that, yes, the library is open and self-service for almost more, um, I think, more hours it is self-service than the time that I actually staff it. Um, so it's a really interesting experiment in this user model. And then as far as marketing, outreach, and engagement, um, this has also been something that's really fun for me. Um, again, I kind of come from that world of marketing, outreach, and engagement. Um, so how does it translate into not only a professional student, um, you know, health sciences research world, um, but also on a regional campus? Um, our communication style, um, our engagement style, it's similar, but it's been really interesting to compare what we do on our Omaha campus and what we do on our Phoenix campus. Um, and that's something that a lot of units are figuring out. It's not just the libraries. Um, and so it's been, again, a huge experiment. Um, I do a lot of, I do a mix of things. Um, so I do a lot of grassroots passive outreach. So things like decorating the library. Um, I thought it was going to be something that was super silly, something that I just enjoyed. Um, you know, research was still growing. I wasn't getting that many consultations at first. Decorated the library. It was a hit. And people have asked me seasonally, what is my next idea? So I'm like, okay, we're on to something. Um, but when I first started, my communications person and I decided to um, name the skeletons that lived in the library. Um, so a lot of library literature has shown that having a kind of um, mascot for your space is a really great way to not only engage the community, but it's a way that, you know, maybe they're up to some shenanigans. Um, and so it's something that's just like a little, you know, maybe it doesn't make you laugh, but it makes you smirk or you smile. Um, um, and you know that someone is doing it because they care and they want to make you smile and laugh. Um, but also sometimes these mascots can be doing things or talking on social media or um, providing that space and being that insider. And they'll be like, they're the ones who are asking quote unquote silly questions. And a student can um, feel like they don't have to ask that silly question or that it's okay to ask that question. Um, and so we found mascots have actually been a hit. We had to do a tournament bracket for the names. People submitted all kinds of silly punny names. So you can see in my photo here, I have three skeletons who are actually dressed up as different iconic Tom Hanks characters. Um, I've decided that one of my coworkers gave me the idea, the idea last year to dress them up for Hanksgiving, not Thanksgiving. So you'll see John Bone Jovi, Indiana Bones, and Captain Jack Marrow. Um, who are our kind of unofficial Phoenix Library mascots, and they do lots of silly things. Um, but a lot of my marketing and outreach is, what can I adapt on a smaller scale? Um, how can I collaborate with units and campus groups? Um, how can I collaborate with them? So I'm deeply involved with certain clubs, like Humanities and Medicine. Um, I regularly attend Surgery Interest Group's Journal Club, which has been a fantastic way to understand how people talk about research. Um, it's been a great way to connect with different house staff, so um, our residents who I don't see on campus, um, but who I serve as part of my community. Um, and then also developing special projects. 
Um, so I developed a project with our um, campus care team. So talking about wellness and providing products that people might need during the day um, when they're between clinicals or um, all day classes. Um, and then I think engagement and beyond is really interesting to talk about um, not only in the health sciences space, but in the space of a solo librarian model. Um, because as I talked about a lot with my supervisor, who is a former um, branch librarian, um, we as solo librarians have this very unique and special privilege. Um, we are so close to our students physically, um, and they are, especially in my space where my um, socialization area is just off of my door, um, you know, this is kind of like our quad. We have a gym on this floor. Their lockers are on this floor. Um, yeah, the kitchens are on this floor. The patios on this floor. So I have a lot of foot traffic. Um, and it might not be all consultation, but at least, you know, when students grab a candy, they're saying hello. Um, they're like talking about their day. I can hear everything, which again is a pro and a con. Um, it's really hard to um, maybe do my work sometimes when I'm working on a really in-depth literature search, but I can also get a sense of where students are struggling. Um, what are the conversations that they're having? What troubles are they having with um, professional identity, with their research, with their projects? Um, and so it's really, really special to be able to be there for them in those moments and be like, hey, how's your day going? And they they can tell me those things, um, especially because librarians are in this um, liminal space. We're not necessarily um, we're not necessarily grading um, what even though we're teaching. Um, so I think people, students, faculty and staff see us as this in between space where they can tell us things that they're struggling with, things that they might not open up to a faculty member about, um, and we can kind of help them through that. Um, it does have a little bit of a caveat to it. Um, you do have to remind people, right, that it's like staff boundaries. Um, sometimes when our people are like, hey, well, students are like, hey, can I get some relationship advice? I'm just like, I'm gonna have to say no to that uh, reference request, technically. Um, so, but it's such a joy. I love working with our students. Um, and I think taking a lot of these really important concerns that they have um, to different um, other units and saying, you know, I'm not going to name a name, but hey, I've heard a lot of your students are really struggling with this. Um, hey, a lot of your, a lot of our students are struggling with this um, when I'm in our um, building operations meetings. So what could we do to help mitigate those concerns or how can we provide these different um, materials? Um, and it was really difficult at first um, in certain spaces, right? A librarian is like, yeah, you're part of academia. You can bring those up. Um, whereas like maybe in um, of another environment, people are like, why are you bringing that up? Like you're the librarian. Can't you just stay in your lane? Um, and in my experience um, so far, um, different careers that I've had, especially here on this campus, um, I feel that anything that's related to um, student concerns, um, their personal life is going to affect their academic life, which is then going to affect how I support them. And so I think a lot of things are absolutely in my domain, especially if I'm going to be a great student advocate. So it's been really nice to um, find other people who feel the same way and how um, we can work together to create a safe and inclusive environment. Um, just being on a satellite campus, you just if you have the right mindset um, and just listen, you can always find informal feedback. Um, and while I've had such a great experience, um, I've also had a lot of cha challenges. 
Um, so again, going back to all those communication models, the organizational charts, um, it's a very dynamic role. Um, we've had a lot of dynamic um, procedures, policies, things that we've had to revise, things that we've had to create. Um, like I said before, I'm sure there's going to be so many more in the next year and a half um, to like five years. Um, every day is completely different. Um, I never know what my day is going to be like, even though I'm, again, live by my calendar. Um, because our job is inherently interruptible, right? It might be like, hey, we're bringing you into this like meeting, it's ASAP, um, things like that. And what you really need to do is figure out a balance to maintain that all. Um, so I subscribe to that mentality of, you know, you're juggling all these things and you need to really figure out what's important or take a risk uh, of what's important. Is it a rubber ball? Is it a glass ball? Um, because things are going to fall no matter what. We're all human, especially I think we've learned in the past three years that um, we can't control everything going on in our lives um, or everything going on in society. And you're going to have to let some of these things fall. So what is able to bounce back and what can you pick up later and what is absolutely not going to be able to be resolved if you let it go? Um, and that is something that I'm still learning. Um, I honestly can say that I've really neglected a few commitments that I've made um, and uh, because I've unintentionally overcommitted myself. And that's, I think, due to several reasons, you know, being a sole librarianship, I can blame it all on that model, but it's also, you know, being early career and learning to say no, or I think everyone, um, that's a lesson that's uh, hard to learn for everyone. Um, which also brings me to the fact that it's really important to have boundaries, um, especially as one person. Um, you know, you can't do everything. You're human. Um, and I think in the health professions, in education, in um, uh, librarianship, we're all here because we want to help people in one way or another. And so it's really hard to say no to people or to say, I can't help you right now. Um, but it's really important because that's what's most fair. Um, and again, I still get it wrong. Um, there are times that, especially in the past uh, two months with ending of the semester and having um, our student and faculty population double, I feel like I've constantly been saying, thank you so much for your patience. Here's what you've asked for. Um, no one said anything yet, but um, I just feel bad, right? It doesn't feel good to not be following through um, the way that you want to. Um, and I think it's also important to be a good um, uh, to have good boundaries and be a good gatekeeper when you are in a solo position, because um, in a library, for instance, everyone's going to want to be like, hey, you facilitate checkout. Can you facilitate X, Y, and Z for me? And you're like, well, that's not really in the scope of things. Um, and then, you know, maybe they push back harder. Um, and that's maybe when you have to be like, hey, that's really not outside the scope. You're, you know, you got to get comfortable and um, be willing to have and stand for those boundaries, because I feel like if you know, it might not be, um, they might not be intentionally, um, scrambling is the wrong word, um, but it's, it's kind of that thing, like you, you give an inch and someone might take a mile, and it's because we're all overloaded and we're all trying to serve and help the people, um, the communities that we serve, um, but we have to maintain those boundaries because, again, it's what's most fair for all of us. If we're not going to be able to follow through um, or if things aren't going to be maintained in the way that they need to, you know, if there's a piece of machinery that someone wants you to keep down here, how are you really going to be the one to maintain it? Um, in addition to all your other duties. Um, and then 
I think boundaries also go into hills that you're willing or not willing to die on. Um, and again, that's something that I'm really learning um, in this role, uh, especially being a solo librarian um, and building things here on campus. Um, sometimes I still get really flustered <laughs> when people are like, hey, I want you to be able to do this for my people, even though it's really outside the scope of the libraries. Um, and so I do find myself, you know, firing off at you know, being like, who does that person think they are? Um, but you have to realize that, you know, um, while it's frustrating or stupid um, or you name it, it's not a hill that you or the libraries should die on. Um, and so figuring out what those are and what your boundaries are and how you balance, I think these are all tied up in, in one. Um, and so, for example, a small hill um, that I am willing to die on is signage. Um, I think as educators and um, as librarians, you know, it's really important to provide people the information that they need, um, and they're not going to get it if you're not going to provide it. Um, so I'm constantly telling people that they need to just put up a sign, they need to make things more clear, use better language, um, more concise language, um, something that I really do. Um, but we're having a, uh, we get into like really interesting conversations across the different units about that. Um, and then something that's a huge hill that the libraries and I um, are, are still fighting is um, the need for a designated quiet communal study area. This was something that my team members prior to me even starting were really fighting for to be in our campus plan. Um, and that's not quite something that ever made it into um, the design of this building. And that's for a variety of reasons, um, but it's something that the students have continually asked for since they started. Um, and so again, how do I be a good student advocate and help them get the resources that they need to um, have a good research and learning environment? So something that we we found a short-term uh, solution across all of the units here on this campus, but um, not in the long term. So that's a that's kind of a hill um, that the libraries and I are willing to um, stand on and fight for. But I do want to end on a positive note, um, and I know that I am. Uh, running short on time for questions. Um, so this image, uh, for those who are listening, is an image of looking into my office. There's a post-it note, um, and a student has handwritten Hagrid's Hut, and that is a character from Harry Potter series. Um, this is something that I'm actually really um, proud of in this whole venture. So if you remember from my Constellation slide, I'm really interested in belonging in virtual and physical spaces, um, making people feel like they're um, allowed to be in this academic space that they belong and the questions that they have are valid, um, that the struggles that they have are valid. Um, and I think the library is seen, um, a lot of people do see it as a an inclusive space. Um, it is supposed to be a place for transformation and for inquiry. Um, but I do recognize that historically, you know, libraries and higher ed have been very exclusive spaces. And so how do you um, kind of reconcile with that history um, and conversations that are going on for different student groups and um, campus climate? Um, so I try really hard to make the library space feel like a community space. Um, it's the space where I allow anyone to hang up a flyer. You know, obviously I'm still moderating them for different, you know, speech or appropriateness, but um, our student groups take full advantage of this. They're constantly doing like really wonderful um, service projects and flyers and drives. Um, I can't tell you the amount of um, 
programming information that I've hosted in the past two months here. Um, and they'll write, you know, different positive notes to each other on whiteboards that I've installed inside the space. And I've received a lot of comments that the space actually feels like a public library, even though it's very small. Um, and I think that is just one of the most wonderful compliments that I could receive because I am someone who grew up going to the public library. And I think that public libraries are really on the forefront in librarianship and as, as far as creating these community spaces. They really focus on how they can serve their specific community. Um, and um, yeah, so I am just so thrilled that people see it that way, um, especially because when I first moved in here, they had mislabeled the space as library storage, and because nothing was in here and it was just shelves, um, we really started with nothing, and people didn't really understand that there was a library with a librarian and a whole host of people um, on the Omaha campus who were ready and available to help them, and so um, to see it grow into this and to have this kind of effect on people is very gratifying. Um, and I just love that this student posted this post-it note. Um, there's, you know, a little gaggle of them, and they um, like to call it Hagrid's Hut. I have been designated as Hagrid um, because it's a, um, they equate me as the liminal space where, like, the fictional students all used to gather pre- and post-adventuring. They could just come down, rest their bags, maybe ask a academic question, but really just tell me about their day, have someone listen to them. Um, and so it's just, yes, it just warms my heart to think that people feel that I am a safe space, that the library is a safe space. Um, and I hope that we can, um, my system and I can just keep working to make sure that it continues to be that safe, um, helpful, resourceful space for our campus community. Um, and with that, um, I've shared some uh, information, but I wanna open it up. I know we have just a couple more minutes. Um, so thank you so much for letting me present to you today. Um, again, I would love if people would reach out. I'm early career, um, so a librarian. I would love to just talk to you all and hear what you all have to say about your health education environments. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Health Bites podcast was produced by the Network of the National Library of Medicine, Region 3. This podcast is eligible for one CE from the Medical Library Association. Visit the link in the episode description to claim your MLA CE.